Well, welcome to SkyPod, and our subject today, I'm pleased to say, is uh, Israel Dag. Uh, Israel Dag, of course, All Black number 1101. Good afternoon, sir. How are you doing? I'm very well, Smithy. I'm in uh, beautiful Christchurch. Weather's fine, and the kids are happy, so dad's happy. And I'm at home for you, which, of course, is uh, Hawke's Bay. But it wasn't Hawke's Bay to begin with, and this is a myth that I'm going to dispel straight away. You were not born in Hawke's Bay. No, no. I was, I was actually born in a little town by Wanganui called Martin. And uh, apparently we only, I only lived there for about a week and then we left and I've never been back, I have to be honest. I'd love to go back one day because I, I say to a lot of people I'm from Martin and they're like, well, when was the last time you were there? And I was like, I was only there for a week, haven't been back since. So I'd love to go back and see what it was like. Uh, like, I, like I said, I can't remember a thing. Well, you're born uh, June the 6th in Martin, 1988. Um, yeah, the world knows you as Izzy Dag, but... Tell us about your full name, because that is, uh, that's like Ross. We're getting into Ross Taylor territory with this one. Go through it for us. Oh, yeah. So my middle names, uh, my full names, Israel Jamal Akuhata Dag. Um, Jamal was a, was a name that my dad just liked. He loved it. And I was actually, but, you know, when I was born, my dad wanted to call me Jamal. Um, but mum said, hell no. So you can have the Mahikana be the middle name. And then Akuhata is just one of my uncle's, Named, hopefully I get this right or my mum will slap me, but it, it's Māori for August, which is um, one of my uncle, my mum's uncle's names was Uncle August. So she just named me after him, Akuhata Dag. So yeah, it's a big old mouthful uh, middle name, but yeah, it's, it's got a, some good meaning. Izzy, uh, you said you only lived in Martin for a week. So uh, when you got to Hawke's Bay, what, what are your first memories as a kid growing <laughs> up in Hawke's Bay? Yeah, first kind of memories that popped ahead are just, we used to live in, uh, in Hastings down um, down Wable Street and Wable Place down in Arkina. And the first memories that come to mind, just, just playing out on the road. We lived down a dead end street and uh, I'd quite, I was quite lucky. I had a few brothers and sisters. So what I remember is just running around all day outside, um, playing rugby on the, on the front lawn with a slipper, um, you know, skateboarding out in the front footpath, you know, even, uh, yeah, just, just constantly playing outside. Uh, we, we didn't have too too many things growing up, so we just had to make our own fun. And like I said, we had lots of brothers and sisters. And I was the youngest, so I was constantly getting picked on. But, um, you know, I was just, just outside enjoying the elements and just having fun and, yeah, just growing up in, in the hood, they should say, back in, back in Arkina Hastings. So when did you realise that um, you really, you know, you love sport? I mean, because you're an all-rounder, you tried a bit of everything. <laughs> uh, oh, I guess, yeah, just my brothers used to play cricket and rugby. And um, one of my big uh, memories is we used to always go to the one-dayers in Napier. Mum um, would buy us some tickets and we'd go over. I remember South Africa versus um, New Zealand Black Caps in Napier, McLean Park. It got rained off one night and we were all waiting in the stands and, so mum was, would pick us up, drop us off, and we'd just always go to the cricket. We used to love cricket and PlayStation. We used to play Shane Warren cricket all the time. And like I said, we're just playing outside with my brothers. And when did I start thinking maybe oh, just seeing my brothers? I used to just watch them play and and seeing how, how skillful they were and just being a part of a team. And so I just, yeah, I started pretty – I was probably a late bloomer. I actually watched the uh, – an episode that my dad did on TV a while ago. And he's, yeah, I think I started playing rugby when I was nine. So I was a late bloomer, but uh, I just love sport. Anything, anything that was outdoors was was my, was my thing. Of course, uh, you went to primary school um, in, in Hastings and, and then you ended up going to Lindisfarne, uh, which is a fairly select school, private type school. Uh, how did that come about? Uh, so I was playing for Ross Shield, Hastings East, and a lot of um, Hawk, uh, Havelock North families were in that team, the O'Connors, the Wallaces, the Hewitts, uh, and all the, obviously their kids went to Heroworth and went to Lindisfarne College, and yeah, I, I was at Hastings Intermediate at that time in my life, and you know, if I'm, if I'm honest, I probably wasn't heading in the right direction that my mum and dad wanted me to, I was, you know, I was, up, I was hanging out of town, and um, you know, we used to sleep at the library. I was hanging around my school. I was, I was doing naughty things. You know, I was. Oh, yeah, I hate to say it. I got caught shoplifting. <laughs> you know, you, you name it. That's that's the kind of line I was going down. You know, just smoking weed and silly things like that. So, for me, the families in uh, the Hastings East Ross Shields 
team, you know, especially the Wallaces, they, they saw the potential in me. Um, and they approached mum and dad and said, look, we, we know Israel's got a lot of potential um, and we, our kids are going to Lindisfarne College. We know it's an expensive school to go to. So there's an opportunity to get a scholarship. And um, so I got offered a scholarship. It's a Whaiti Nui Atoi scholarship for, for Lindisfarne College for a Māori boy going to, going to school. Because, you know, it's, it's not a cheap school. So, um, oh, yeah, I got an opportunity going there. And, and uh, if I'm honest, it changed my life. It, um, it, it gave me, it taught me respect and the value of respecting people. I probably don't respect people and, and people's things, you know. Um, you know, a lot of people work hard for what they have, and here's this little kid going around stealing it. So uh, it just taught me a lot of things, how to be a man. You know, obviously, you know, if I could turn back time, I wish I applied myself a lot better at school and, and listened to the teachers. But, you know, it, it just taught me to how to be a good person, and that's one thing I'll never forget about is going to Lindisfarne and, and hanging around with my mates. I'm still mates with them to this day. I always keep in touch with the Lindisfarne boys, and yeah, so it was just a, a good opportunity I couldn't turn down. And my mum, my mum especially, she worked extremely hard because she was studying, she was doing nursing at at, uh, at school, and then she was working in the psychiatric unit and mental health. So she was working pretty hard for me to go to that school. So I, I owe a lot to her and what she did for me. Special thoughts, mate. Special memories of, of, of that time and. Uh, I've got memories of you as well because I had a son going to school uh, around about the same time, played in cricket team with you. And I want to talk about the cricketing side of uh, Israel Dag because uh, you're a very talented kid. I mean, uh, let's let's talk about the day, yet, uh, first of all, that you, you went to a fast bowling contest. They tell me <laughs> they clocked you at 143. Now, to put that into perspective, that would make you the second fastest bowler in New Zealand at the moment behind Lockie Ferguson. You got Trent Bolt and Tim Sally absolutely. Uh, Mitchell Stark's got you covered, but uh, <laughs> Hazelwood and Hazelwood and Cummins are around about that level. So, yeah, mate, you you had some wheels, as they say these days. Oh yeah, I used to try and whip it down there. And um, mate, I loved my cricket growing up. I was a big fan, like I said, of the Black Caps and and seeing them play. And yeah, we used to play backyard cricket all the time with my brothers. We'd go out there all day. We'd have like little breakfast breaks, lunch breaks, dinner breaks. It was so good. Um, but yeah, I just I used to just like to try, try and bowl fast, you know, um, try and whip it down there. And yeah, I loved my time at cricket. And I got an opportunity to play, uh, to bowl in that um, fast ball comp at McLean Park. And that was, yeah, I think that was the year they played Australia. And I um, that year I actually got to bowl... I think it was the same year. But anyway, I got to bowl against Australia and that's when I got in touch with Brett Lee. So, yeah, I still try and whip it down there. And, you know, like I said, I loved my cricket, hanging out on... The only worst thing about it was was uh, just fielding all day in that 30th degree heat. You know, 80 minutes of rugby, that's easy. But when you're out in that sunshine all day, <laughs> and you're a fast bowler and you, your captain's coming up to your warm-up, Daggy, we need a breakthrough. And you're like, oh, God, I've just finished a 10-over spell. Um, yeah, it was a long game. But like I said, I loved it. I love bowling fast and trying to rip it down there. You actually bowled to the Australians, if you remember. You bowled to, I think the squad was, uh, they had Ponting and Gilchrist in there. So that's some pretty yeah. tall timber, mate. Yeah, I uh, I remember I dropped a short against Gilchrist and he smashed me for about the biggest six I've ever seen at um, Nelson Park. So I had to go run and get it. Um, and yeah, that's when Brett Lee was there. I actually bowled Brad Hodge out that, so I'll claim I'll claim that. I bowled him middle pin. I'll, I'll claim that one. Um, but yeah, never drop it to Gilly. He just put me over the stands. But yeah, that's where I met Brett Lee. And I had a great yarn with Brett Lee. And he was actually a wonderful guy. He... Um, he got in touch with me and he, uh, I was waterboy for him when he was bowling his first over spell. So I was hanging on the boundary. He got me on the boundary line and uh, I got mm-hmm. to in the waters and it was a special moment, even though they were Aussies. But to, to be there with Brett Lee, who was at that time the fastest bowler, the most feared bowler in, in world cricket, it was a special moment. Um, and that well, was, you, pl- you played uh, th- three years at Central District age group cricket too, mate. So... Um... You know, you took 150 wickets at school, uh, scored 1,250 runs. I saw the day you scored 100. Uh, <laughs> I was there that day, which was quite memorable, and I think you're pretty happy about that. Yes, yes, that was my first 100. Before then, I had uh, 293 not outs. 
Uh, <laughs> I still love betting, eh? Like, the thing with bowlers and, and being a fast bowler, you kind of, people don't expect you to bet. But I used to take a lot of pride in my betting. And uh, for, for high school, my last year, I think I was betting number four or five. Um, but, yeah, I was happy to get that ton against Havelock North in the Gillette Cup. Uh, I think I got 128 not out or out. I can't remember. Um, but, yeah, I was, I was happy. I was happy to get that uh, monkey off my back. Um, but it just, you're just bringing back good memories for me as a kid, you know, growing up at Linus Farm, you know, rolling down <laughs> for, for, uh, for the school. And I always remember we, we were so close to making that Gillette Cup top four, Smithy. You remember that? One game. Yeah, I, I do they remember. Bulls, all the, one game. Bulls Collegiate came down <laughs> and rolled us. <laughs> BJ, hey, mate, I think it was. Someone like that. They killed us. If you ever want to go back and uh, reminisce, you'll, you'll look at the honours board. And I can tell you on the honours board, it says in 2003, I dagged seven for nine, six for 22. 2004, I dagged seven for seven and six for 21, mate. You are serious. <laughs> no. Yeah, I think uh, one of those, was that one of them against Scott's College? It would have been. Uh, yeah, it was. We were playing Victor Vito then, actually. It was um, Victor Vito came out to bat. You know, big man, big monster. No helmet. Came out mm. no helmet. But, you know, as a fast bowler, you, I shouldn't be saying this because you know, a lot of people have got hurt doing this, but fast bowler, no helmet. You're like, disrespectful, mate. I'm going to drop this in short. So I dropped it, dropped it in short against Victor Vito, and then he just went like this. Boom. Pretty much dented the ball, nearly snapped the ball in half because it was that muscly. And he just took it on his shoulder and stood there. And I was just like, oh, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I just used to love bowling. And when you get a rhythm, a bit of confidence, things start happening. And, yeah, those, those are my, probably my best figures. Yep. Well, uh, the reason I went into depth about how good you were at cricket, maybe, is because uh, you, you all of a sudden got yourself into a situation, I would think, because you've First 15 rugby player, of course, Hawks Bay Secondary School's rep rugby player at this time. Um, you almost got yourself into a situation where you might have had to choose. Yeah. Uh, what I want to know is, did it ever come to that point or was rugby just so much the winner? Uh, no, no, if I'm honest. It was the toughest decision ever. Um, especially when I was having to make that decision in seventh form after I bowled against Australia and Brett Lee gave me that confidence about my game and I started believing okay maybe I'm all right if the best ball in the world saying that okay I've got an opportunity so my mind was oh I was set I was playing cricket I was going to go cricket 100% but the thing is cricket started at like this is sixth form seventh form so cricket sixth and seventh form was at the start of the summer and then you go into into winter in my last year of school and uh rugby was the last sport I played and the way it turned out, I was still 50-50 throughout my whole seventh form year, but Hawke's Bay came and offered me a contract. You know, I was a, I was a boy that didn't have anything, uh, you know, maybe 20 bucks every weekend or second weekend. So I got, I got an opportunity to, to get some money. Hawke's Bay gave me a contract, and uh, that pretty much made my mind up. Was um, yeah, just... I was, like I said, I was 50-50 until I got an opportunity, and that opportunity was Hawke's Bay Rugby. They offered me a, a three-year deal or two-year deal with straight out of school. So, And then I made the Hawke's Bay Magpies in seven form. So that was kind of the, the icing on the cake for me. It just made the decision a lot lot easier, if, if I must be honest. it's Because uh, yeah, till then, I was still 50-50 of what I wanted to do. How do you play first-class rugby and go to school during the week? How do you... How do you cope with the nervous side of that, the preparation side of that, from becoming basically a boy in short trousers to a man at the weekends with these these giants of the game, some of them? Do you tie up, Dag? You're not at Hawks Bay Rugby anymore. That's what I remember. <laughs> <laughs> You're not at the gym now, Dag. Hurry up. Pull your socks up. Um, oh, it's, yeah, it's it's crazy when I think about it. Uh, mate, I was still a boy back then. I, you know, I think about the, the decisions I made. I was a I, th- I thought I was pretty hot, hot shit, if I must be honest. You know, going. I wish I, like I said at the start of this interview, I wish I applied myself a lot better um, and, and did a lot more schoolwork or, or try to get some qualifications um, out of going to school because it is an expensive school. And you know, but in saying that, like I said, it gave me a lot of tools that I needed to succeed in life after footy. But uh, yeah, I used to, it was scary. 
Oh, that year I got knocked out. I think it was like six times in in, in ITM Cup. I think or New Zealand Cup it was back then. So yeah, I got knocked out six times, and that was the year when concussions wasn't a thing. You just rolled out the next week, and I was, I remember I was getting knocked out week in week out. And now that they've brought in that that new thing for academy players or guys that are young, they have to play a certain minutes now the nowadays. And uh, Mike Anthony, who's the high performance manager for the New Zealand Rugby Union, he actually said that's because of me. That they had to bring that in because I was still at school. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was still a schoolboy, but I was playing every game for Hawks Bay Magpies, and then I got knocked out five times. You know, so it just I was kind of the guinea pig for these uh, for these kids these days. But um, yeah, good memories growing up. In those days in Hawks Bay making the Magpies was was pretty awesome. Mate, I'm going to ask you about the finish to one game in particular for Hawke's Bay because it's going to make a lot of Bay of Plenty people sick to death. <laughs> uh, and that was at Rotorua. Remember that game that night in the end when you and Zach combined to take the Battle of the Bay back to Hawke's Bay. Tell us about that moment. Yeah, that was a pretty cool moment. Um, my good mate, Zachy. Uh, yeah, I thought we were playing Mike Delaney, actually. I'll give him a bit of stick about it. He always winds me up because um, he was in the Crusaders not so long ago. He always remembers that. Oh, it was just one of those things. I got a sloppy pass from Chris Eden, I think it was. It was right on my toes, so and it was wet as. And I don't know. Me and, me and Zach just kind of had that that ability to know where each other was, and we didn't really talk to each other on the field. It's kind of just I know he'll be there, so I just picked the ball up and and just did a little crossfield kick, and it just set up perfectly for for Zachy and scored in the corner, and yeah, just bring back good memories actually. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and uh, like good. I said, I, I won't forget them once you bring them up, they You know, they're stuck in there forever. But uh, yeah, just always good getting up one up against uh, the Bay of Plenty. They've had the wood on us for the last couple of years, but we had that one that year. It was awesome. Okay, so your decision then to, to go to rugby was vindicated, uh, but then it became even more, uh, I guess, the, the right move for you because the pay scales went up a wee bit. You, you were drafted to the Highlanders. Tell us a, a wee bit about that. Yeah, uh, so, yeah, just made the decision to play ITM Cup, um, any Zealand Cup back then, and I was lucky I played for two years for the team. And uh, before I actually made the Hollanders, I played New Zealand Sevens. So I had an opportunity to play Sevens. Uh, the year Victor Vito ran rampant in, in Wellington in 2008, I think it was. And, you know, everyone knows Gordon Titchens and how he rolls. I had a whole year with Titch, and I was probably 20 kilos lighter than I am today. Um, <laughs> but that was an awesome year. I was still a kid. I was still a boy, still finding out a lot about it myself and still learning. That's that's the biggest thing. It took me a long time to learn. You know, I was an athlete. I was a rugby player. But there's so much more that's, that's to being an athlete. And that's what I didn't know growing up in Hawke's Bay. You know, I went to Lindisfarne College. We didn't have a gym. We didn't have anything. So I had a lot to learn still when I was growing up. And, yes, like I said, so I played NZ7s, um, had a whole year in there, and then I made the, the Highlanders team in 2009. And back then, I was a Hurricanes. I wanted to be a Hurricane. I was diehard. I was, that was my team. But back then, they could only secure, I think it was like 25 players, and then the rest go into a draft. So I went into the draft, and my good mate Pete Russell was the coach for the Highlanders, and... He picked me up and, and took me down there and just gave me that opportunity at another level, which uh, I'm very grateful for. Uh, two years down there and absolutely love playing for the Landers. Like I said, still had a lot to learn. And I reckon I didn't know who I was until about 2016, I reckon. And so, yeah. Mate, at that point, you're, you're in the Highlanders, uh, I think in the second year of your time down there. Uh, and you got picked for the All Blacks. You became uh, All Black number 1101. Who's 1100? Ben Smith. 1102? Uh, Aaron Cruden? No, no. Benson Stanley, mate. Benson Stanley? Stanley. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So when Sam Whitlock, he must be living oh, <laughs> <laughs> But it's a question you've got to ask every kid that, that gets that, his hands on that jersey. Where were you when you found out? How did it feel to grab it, mate? Oh, I was in, I was in, uh, I actually spoke to Daisy about this the other day because those were the days when they did the announcement on the rugby channel. And um, 
So I was in Gisborne at my wife's family's house and we were sitting there and they didn't have rugby channel. They were like, oh, we're going to book. And I was like, nah, there's no point. I'm not going to make it. Don't, you know, don't go through all that fuss. And uh, we want, we wanted them to book it now, but you know, don't waste that money on, you know, I'm not going to make it. And so they did. And those are the days when they had the old handheld cameras. Mm. So they, they booked it and I was at Gizzy. At, yeah, golf ball, son. And I was at, I was in Gizzy at my uh, at her house, and it came on, and they were going through you know alphabetical order, and gets the, gets the D, and they they yelled egg, and I was just yeah. blown away. I just couldn't believe it. You know, every kid growing up, you know, I grew up in Hawkes Bay in a dead end street. And here's me watching my idols, Kali Lomu on TV, and I'm like, I'd love to be there, but how? Why me? So here's me sitting in Gizzy, thinking I've just been named in the All Blacks. It was. It was crazy. Um, my mum and dad were lucky enough. They were in Gisborne as well. So they came and paid a visit and we all had dinner and everyone started popping the champagne. So I was just surrounded by my family. And uh, yeah, I'll never forget that feeling and that moment sitting in Gisborne in the lounge, wow. watching it on uh, Sky TV Rugby Channel. It was pretty cool. And then you go into camp. What's that like, mate? What's that like? <laughs> yeah, I get it all. My phone goes crazy for the next couple of days. And then you're getting all these, like I said, I, I had to become a man overnight. You're getting all these emails, messages saying you got to be here, you got to do this. Your trainer rings you. He's like, this is your training for the next week. So it was just a big boom. Okay, it's all here. Um, I fly to Auckland and we go to the Heritage Hotel and Mills Mulaina is my roomie. You know, growing up watching Mills. Hello. Uh, Mil- that's right, that's right, that's right, quick. Sorry. Um, yeah, so I get to Auckland and, and Millsy's my uh, my roommate. So I go in my room and Millsy's here and I'm just watching Millsy and all and he's got all these books and you know, he's got a plan. He's got everything planned out. His room's immaculate and I'm just sitting there going, watching him, giving a few tips. And then I'm looking at our day sheet because there's no emails of, of the schedule for the day. So you get a sheet. And I was constantly, okay, the meeting's an hour away and I'm already ready sitting on my end of my bed. Um, we go to our first meeting. We're playing Ireland in about a week and a half time. And I'm going to my first meeting thinking, babe, they're going to ease me into it. You know, I'll be I'll be two weeks in and I might get run off the bench. So I'm just sitting there and they name the team first meeting. Dag, fullback. And I'm just like... <laughs> pull off my seat pull off my seat I start at, I'm going to say I had actually shitting myself I was just like oh my lord Plant Island debut 15 um, yeah it was crazy it was a, I was yeah I was so nervous but um, I remember game day I was rooming with Joe Rockathoko and uh, and it was raining and yeah I was just so nervous and shitting myself all day it was it was crazy but it's good to think back um but yeah, I just couldn't believe I was going to start in my first week. We could go through any number of, uh, I think, 66 test matches and, and um, any number of tries that you scored uh, or were involved in. Maybe there's two that uh, we, we want to talk to you about today. Um, and they're both against South Africa. Uh, what about the one at uh, Wellington? That, that just came from nowhere. I was on the sideline with you, funnily yeah. enough. I wasn't that far from this, but I'd like to hear it from your point of view. Oh, I'm not going to lie, Smithy. Uh, you know, uh, we want to watch a bit of highlights of ourselves. Just get a bit of an ego boost. I've seen it, <laughs> and I've heard your commentary on it. It's good, mate. It's um, look, I don't know. I just it was pretty tenace, wasn't it? It was pretty. <laughs> I just caught the ball, and I don't know how I got through that gap. You know, I just love to do the goose step. So, uh, when in doubt, go go to what you know, and that's the goose step. So I just uh, this is a little tilly. I just went to the goose step, dummy cut. Owie Franks was never going to give it to Owie, so he's just going to be there to clean me out. <laughs> dummy cut, and I think the only reason I got through, I think Kershaw got tripped up from uh, Geo Aplon or something like that. So, <laughs> look, see, I know everything. I know all the details. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. It was one of my uh, most memorable tries. Uh, first try for the All Blacks too, so it's always going to be memorable. And to be able to do it like that was that was pretty cool. No, it's better than that, mate. It was, uh, it was sensational, particularly in the situation in the match. The other one uh, was also against South Africa. Um, the pass from Ma Nonu, one shoe on, one shoe off. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that, that, there's highs and lows to that one. The one thing I'll say is you kids, 
never celebrate before you put the ball down. Um, yeah, I was showboating the whole way to the try line. Could have went pear shape, and I could have lost the ball, and we lost. So, put the ball down and send you over that line. Uh, yeah, I just saw Ma make the break, and I just had to put the burners on. I was lucky enough just to get in front of Peterson and and get the ball down. And I always remember a story there. Uh, I've told a few people this, but I've never said it on, on air. We went back in the change room. Steve Hansen comes up to me, and I'm thinking, yeah, he's going to rub me in the head and tell me well done. He said, don't you ever, ever do that again. Don't you ever celebrate before you put the ball down. And I thought, oh, yeah, sweet, sweet. And then he walked off. And I was sitting next to Corey Jane, and, and I was like, doesn't he, doesn't he know I just won us the game? <laughs> Real quietly. And then CJ being CJ, big mouth, gets up and goes, oh, he just said he won the game. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone starts laughing, and then Steve turns around and goes, and I was just like, oh, no. <laughs> so I come from being hero to zero. But, um, yeah, it was cool. It was, uh, it was. I've seen a few replays of that last 10, eight minutes, and I just, yeah, can't believe we won it. We were down by two tries, and uh, we got over the line. So, yeah. After, of course, your time with the Highlanders um, wasn't such a successful time on the park as such, particularly early, that you then went to the, or made a decision to go to the Crusaders in 2011. Uh, and you're still in Christchurch. Where did that decision come from? Um, yeah, I guess it was a hard decision because I, I had I owe a lot to the Highlanders because they, they gave me that opportunity to, to get me on the map and to start playing in that next level, which is Super Rugby. So... It was a hard decision as I because I thought I owed a lot to them and you know they that like I said they gave me that opportunity but I'm a realist and and there was an opportunity for me to go to a place where you know they're pretty good at what they do they they create a culture where winnings they know how to win and they know how to bring the best out of people and yeah so I wanted to play with with the Carters the McCaws the Thorns the Sunny Bills you know so it was a hard decision because I didn't want to leave the Landers, but it was an easy decision to make in the end, you know, to come to Christchurch and play in, in my mind, the best franchise out there going around. So if you surround yourself around good people, you're going to do good things. And I think it was the best decision for me um, to, to surround myself around those guys and learn. Like I said at the start of this podcast, I, I knew nothing about being an athlete. I, I, I just relied on talent. You know, and when you come here, talent's not everything. You just, I had to work hard. I had to, I had to learn how to do analysis. I, to this day, I still don't know how to do analysis on the computers. I thought it used to block my mind up. So, you know, I'm an instincts player. I, I, I needed to know a little bit, but not too much. Otherwise, I get bogged down. You know, nutrition, how, how important that is. Training, gym, um, you know, being able to, sacrifice things and, and a lot of pressure on me to train by myself. I still had a lot to learn and I guess coming here, that kind of helped me because you've seen the guys, the professionals, they were doing it day in, day out. When you see that, you're like, oh, okay. Well, maybe I'm not as good as I thought. So in that sense, it helped me. It's amazing because Sky pay you a fortune these days to be an analyst. <laughs> oh, Smitty, come on. That ain't <laughs> They made me chump change compared to you, man. <laughs> hey, mate. Hey, right. Like 2011, of course, uh, we all know what happened on February, February the 22nd, 2011, of course, was uh, a horrific earthquake. Uh, where were you at the time, mate? And what impression did that leave you on Leave on you as a, as a Cantab now? Yeah. It was a uh, welcome to Christchurch, mate. And it hasn't been, <laughs> hasn't been smooth sailing since, really. But um, it's uh, I was just driving home from training in my car, turned the, turned the corner and the car started kind of like wobbling, so I thought I had a punctured tyre, so I pulled over and and then all of a sudden there was tsunamis, waves of road coming at me, just like big, big waves, and I was just suddenly going, holy heck, this is not normal, and then the power lines were all falling over and everything was chaos, so I was in my car and it's like a roller coaster, and then I just boosted home and the wife was at home and the house was flooding with all that liquefaction, and yeah, I'll never forget those those next couple of days with no power, um, no water, limited amount of food. We actually had a wind-up radio that um, my landlord had left like a survival kit for us underneath the stairs. And so we'd be winding up the radio for the next three nights trying to understand. And, and then we heard a big building was, that was only probably like a kilometre away from where I was living. 
there was like 100 something 150 people in there or something like that um perished so yeah it was crazy times it was crazy times and you know we had to we had to dig deep and uh, rugby was on wasn't even on my mind during that it was just survive and, and get through the next couple of weeks because it was it was crazy uh, as you say, rugby was so far from your mind. And, and of course, as it turned out, it was one of the things I think that galvanised Christchurch back together was the Crusaders. But of course, you, you couldn't play at home. Mate. You, you had the most weird season where whilst you were doing it for Christchurch people, you could not do it in Christchurch. So tell, tell us a wee bit about how that season unfolded and how how it became so successful for the purpose that, that you were playing for. Um, yeah, like you touched on it. We couldn't play here. The, the Jade Stadium was ruined. Um, you know, it was crazy because I never actually got to play there for the Crusaders. So I arrived and it was it was gone. So uh, it was just a no-brainer. It was either forfeit everything and not play at all or travel and play all our games away. And, and the, the thing that sticks out for me, which is a positive, I think, is we got to play in the unions, our smaller unions representing the Crusaders, you know, we're the Crusaders, most of our games are in Christchurch. But for us to get to Timaru, if we played the Bulls in Timaru, the Blues in Timaru, we played in Waratahs and Nelson, Brumbies, Highlanders and Nelson. So, so to get around to those smaller unions and see how they embraced it and got behind us was pretty cool. Um, but that was a yeah, that was a crazy year on the road. And when I look back, it was, you know, to we nearly did it. We nearly got there. Um, we were just one game short, but took a lot of effort and sacrifice. I was only a young kid, so for me, it was easy to get on that plane and fly. I was like, yeah, where are we going next? Let's go to London. Let's go play the Sharks in London. Let's let's go to Nelson, Sonny Nelson, and enjoy it. Let's go to Hawke's Bay and play the Chiefs and Napier. You know, like, it was it was easy. It was easy for me. But for the older guys that had kids, the Karen Reeds, the Corey Flynn's, I think it was a lot tougher for them, knowing that they had kids and family members at home, the uncertainty of when the next earthquake is going to happen. Yeah, yeah, it would have been a different answer from those guys. They would have been, yeah, toughing it out, I guess. Oh, I think that'll probably go down as, even though you didn't get your name on the trophy, as one of the great years of uh, Crusader rugby, to be fair. It was also a significant year in New Zealand rugby, of course, because after that, uh, in the back of your mind, of course, was a thing, a little old thing called the World Cup. Yeah. Um, and it didn't. The season for the All Blacks didn't start that well for you in terms of fitness, because I think you got injured against Wales, and you know all of a sudden you're thinking, have I, you know, have I lost this great opportunity? Yeah. So that was a that was a tough year for me. Um, it was actually in Cape Town, Smithy. I uh, I tore, I ripped my quad off my hip. Yeah. I went to kick the ball and um, just my whole quad just snapped and it was hanging down my kneecap. So that was about three and a half, maybe four months out from the World Cup. Uh, and, you know, I was I was playing for the All Blacks the year before, so I had an opportunity and a chance to get back in that team. Um, but when that happened, I thought it was game over. I thought, uh, you know, there's my dream. The only, turns out to be the only World Cup I, I got an opportunity to play at. So, yeah, I thought it was game over. Um, and the, weird, the worst thing is my wife now, my girlfriend back then, she actually went overseas and moved and, and worked on the yacht. So I was, I was a kid staying at home with no one leg by myself because my teammates were travelling around New Zealand, travelling around the world to play. So I was pretty lost in that year, if I remember. I was a lost boy. I didn't know what was going on. Um, but I, I got a plan. I had a plan from Smithy. I had a plan from um, the Crusaders. I just had to rehab, do everything possible when... Yeah, did, did everything right and got in that team, Smithy. So the rest is history and, yeah. Listen, um, during your career, I suppose you always had a, a viable guy with you, alongside you, going for the, almost the same spot. They managed to find room for you, <laughs> you were playing on the wing. But Ben Smith, uh, latterly, but at this stage it was Mills. Mills Miliana, who's your, your original roommate, as you said. So... You were both with him in that World Cup squad that was named, and and you got you got the starting berth. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It is. It's just one of those those things. Um, yeah, Millsy was a, an absolute legend. You know, like a lot of top guys. The old older school. You hear guys in the olden days when a young kid comes in, they don't help you at all. 
they just say, oh, well, he's my competition. We just we don't talk to him, blah blah blah. But Millsy was the opposite. Um, I was I was still young, and I got on the I got on the team, and I got an opportunity. He'd he'd help me out week in week out. Like I said, I was playing fullback, but we were young. It was me played seven tests. Corey probably played only twenty. Kahui played only fifteen. So we were young. So Millsy was a big big part of our success in 2011. He played over 100 tests. He played 100 tests. His last game was 100 tests against Argentina. Um, so he was a big part of, of, of our success that year. But I guess, you know, it happens. It happened to me throughout later in my career. I got overtaken by young kids. That's the best thing about New Zealand rugby and the talent we have here. There's New Zealand just oozes with talent. So it is what it is. You, you you're never an owner of that jersey. You're just a caretaker. You just got to give it everything for as much as possible, as long as possible. And that's what Millsy did for a very long time. And that's what hopefully I did. And and the guys in there now are doing. It's just it's just part and parcel of of rugby. You're favourites. The All Blacks are always pretty much favourites when they go to a rugby World Cup. But it's double the pressure, isn't it, when you're playing at home because the expectation is there. But you match that against the joy of of playing every single match in front of your home fans who are the dominant part of the crowd. I mean, I, I experienced the 1992 in the Cricket World Cup and it was a ride that I'll never, ever forget. What was the ride like for you? Oh, it was crazy. So really, like, like you touched on it, being the back in heart, playing a World Cup at home, you are surrounded by it 24-7. You know, you know what I mean? Everywhere you go, you go out the hotel, there's people there, you go anywhere. It's just, it's just eight weeks of high pressure constantly. So when I look back on it, by the end of the World Cup, I was drained. I just wanted to get back to Hawke's Bay and relax. Got back to Hawke's Bay, went up to Lake Waikati Moana and just hibernated up there. It was, it was awesome. But it was, it was amazing. A World Cup in your home country and being able to win it, just seeing what it did to, to us Kiwis. We're very passionate about rugby and cricket, sport in general. We love it. And when there's a competition, a world competition in our home backyard, we get right behind it. And I'll never forget driving home after the World Cup with, with Daisy. We are driving through the you know middle of nowhere. And every hillside had go all blacks or every letterbox had black and white balloons. And just seeing what it did to, to New Zealanders, it united us. And uh, I don't know what it would have been like if it was 8-7 the other way. Um, I probably would have went and moved overseas because... Uh, it was it was too close for comfort that final city. I was um, I was pretty nervous, but uh, luckily enough, we got the job done and we got the win. And yeah, that was my only World Cup, so I'm happy. <laughs> and also, I guess in a, a slightly downside of it, I, I suppose if there is one, but it also I guess taught you a bit of a lesson as just as as much as life as a high profile All Black um, mm. means good stuff, but it also means. It can also mean, uh, I guess you're exposed to a lot of stuff as well, and you have to be very careful. And there was uh, a bit of a problem, wasn't it? I think so. Yeah, I didn't get him. I didn't get invited, so I thought I'd bring it up. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, when you, the, the biggest thing is you're in all black twenty four seven. No matter where you go, people are going to recognise you. And um, yeah, wasn't wasn't the smartest thing I've ever made in in that uh, quarterfinal. Me and my my mate Corey going out to town and. And uh, being idiots. Um, worst thing about that, Smithy, was that uh, that was Millsy's last game for the All Blacks and hundredth mm-hmm. test. And for me and and Corey to go out there and take the limelight away from him, a special human doing special things in, in a special jersey, that's the one thing that really affects me is is knowing that I took his limelight away by me being selfish and going out and doing it and. Uh, you know, just thinking about myself and going get on the piss and letting the team down, you know, like quarterfinal in the World Cup. The, the team doesn't need that external pressure knowing that two idiots went out and did that. And if it wasn't a, for a World Cup, we are gone. Smithy wanted us gone. Wayne Smith was like, get rid of them. I'm sick of it. I'm done. Blah, blah. But it was a World Cup and uh, they couldn't get rid of us. And then uh, Mills, he actually broke his hand. That was the only reason I played against Australia in the semi-final mm. and because he actually broke his wrist or, or injured something. So, uh, yeah, silly decisions, but um, we learned from them. It created a bit yeah, of we edge. Yeah, we do. created a little bit of edge within the group, and that's how I reckon we got the W. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
okay, we'll believe you. Uh, <laughs> look, look, the best way you could uh, you, you could repay Mills though is to win it, uh, yeah. and you did. Um, Sixty six thousand, I think it was, at Eden Park. Um, and that final whistle uh, and that euphoria of of basking in the glory of it. You, you only got to do it once. Mm. Most people don't even get close to it, mate. The, the, the feeling there. Oh, relief, relief. Um, just so relieved that we got the job done because, like I said, it was 8-7 and you know, I think Morgan Power missed the kick that I thought was definitely going over and it just shaved the right hand upright. Uh, so it's just more relief and uh, satisfaction just getting the job done. You know, you're in the environment for eight weeks. And like I said, every day is high pressure. There's a lot of external pressure, internal pressure, and it is just rugby, rugby, rugby for the full eight weeks. Uh, so I was mentally drained. But I was, yeah, you probably wouldn't know, but I was thirsty. You know, obviously, I took <laughs> two weeks before, but I was thirsty. So it was just the greatest feeling walking around that stadium looking up in the stands. One thing I regret is I, I threw my bat, my boots up in the stands. I wish I had those today because I would have hung them with my World Cup jersey. But anyway, my dad was on a, this is a story, my dad was on a bus or somewhere and I threw my boot up. It actually broke someone's hand. But they, they still had the boot. They still had a photo of the boot and said someone caught it, but it actually broke their finger or something like that. So there, there's a story. Um, I wish I kept my boot. But just seeing what it meant for, for the Kiwis, for New Zealand, um, the weight of a nation, I think I've seen that, the doco and, and just seeing what was happening down the mm. line, all the people's faces, they were just so concerned and worried and, and mm. then just seeing after that whistle, we were hugging and just getting united. Um, it was, yeah, you're bringing back some good memories, Smithy. It's, uh, I'll never forget being in that change room you know, with, with Richie. Looking at Richie, he couldn't even breathe. He was playing on about half a foot. So, <laughs> just seeing him. Uh, no, DC. DC was there, and we all know what happened with him in the quarterfinal or the last pool game. He ripped it mm. his off his groin or down there. So, being able to do it for those guys, Millsy. Millsy been in Jersey for a long time. Being able to see him with the trophy. But just eight weeks with your brothers getting the job done. There's no no better feeling. Mate, uh, of course, you, you were aiming for another one in the UK. Um, <laughs> and, you know, you, for three years, you basically held on to the jersey and, and then you had some injury issues, of course, and along came a fellow by the name of Ben Smith. <laughs> ben from accounts, as they yeah. some people would like to refer yeah. to me. And, and the battle starts all over again, holding on to that jersey. Yeah, like I said, it's just part and parcel of New Zealand rugby. and yeah, Everyone used to, I don't know, everyone probably thought that me and Ben... Ben had like a weird relationship because we were so play- going up against each other's jerseys, but got a lot of time for Ben and what happened. And man, I just didn't deserve to go to the 2015 World Cup. I was I was hopeless. I had no confidence. I had no confidence in my game. I wasn't playing well. I did have a few niggly injuries, but um, yeah, I just didn't deserve it. And yeah, I'll be completely honest. I was gutted. I was gutted when I missed that World Cup. I remember exactly when Steve rang me and gave me that news and it's the worst phone call in history, but like I said, I just didn't deserve it. And they had the no, Ben was playing extremely well. He'd been playing extremely well for a long time. So he deserved that opportunity. And then Nehi, well, Nehi was on fire. Waisaki, you know, they just had the, they had the team. Julian, I just wasn't good enough. Um, it was tough. I nearly, I nearly quit. I nearly gave away the game in 2015. I was, I had enough. I, uh, I was sick of, Feeling like that, feeling worthless, feeling down, not good enough, uh, no confidence in myself. Walking down the street, I'd see someone looking at me and all I could think about was them going, oh, he's hopeless. Remember that guy? He missed the World Cup. That's what was going through my head. So I was just like, oh, I'm sick of this. I want to get a real job. But um, I have to credit my wife. She she told me to stay at it. My family, they were just like, you know, stick at it. And then I just skated my shoulder that year, playing for Hawks Bay, versus Auckland and, and Hawke's Bay. And mm. I had six months away from the game, uh, six months rehabbing, getting fit. And then I came back in 2016 and probably had my greatest year in, in the All Blacks jersey and the Crusaders jersey. I was playing freely. I had no no worries in, about anything. I didn't care about what anyone else was thinking. I just kept my circle tight and I started enjoying the game and I found the love. And then I'll never forget hear, hearing my name out of 
getting called out for that All Blacks jersey in 2016 uh, for the series versus Wales. Getting that phone call from Gilbert and Oka. Knowing what, how close I was to giving up the game, it was like making the team again for the first time. It was, it was pretty special and yeah, probably my most enjoyable year of, of footy. I think quite often it is when, when you set yourself a challenge to get something back again and, and you're finally able to do that. You had to do quite a lot of it on the wing, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll be honest, I, I actually loved the wings for me. It was, um, I actually thought it suited me a bit better. A uh, bit more relaxed, like you don't, how do you say this? Well, I love fullback, but fullbacks, I thought, yeah, you just had to make a lot more decisions. And like too many decisions to be made up upstairs here, smelly, no good, you know. So the less the less things I had to think about, the better for Dag. So I had a lot more freedom, um, scoring tries, and I guess my defense on the field was one of my biggest work ons. Constantly, always trying to work on my defense, my tackle, and I think playing wing it kind of helped that because I was up in the line, I was having to come out of line, bring line speed having to connect with my centres and, and work as a, as a unit. I think it helped my game, and Wayne Smith was a big part of that. And probably my best year on, on defence was 2016. So, yeah, I, I did enjoy it. I enjoyed it. And, mate, it was great having Bender there because we, we're both fullbacks. We kind of knew what we want from our winners and what I want from my fullbacks. So, I reckon it was, it was awesome. I didn't have to – I just had to look at him and get a little wink, and I knew what he was doing and he knew what I was doing. So, that's the one thing I loved about playing with Ben and, and obviously Jules and whoever was on the left wing. So you know, I thought, yeah, it was a really enjoyable playing wing. There's one piece of New Zealand, uh, I guess, history that was attached to rugby but will always be there, particularly for Air New Zealand travellers, was the time that they made the Men in Black video and you are alongside Stan Walker First yeah. of all, how the hell did you get the gig ahead of all those other dudes? <laughs> and, and, and what was it like, mate? What was it like when you hopped on the plane and, and you had to watch yourself? Do you know what? The worst thing about it was really they made that for the World Cup and I wasn't even <laughs> on the plane for the World Cup. <laughs> so, yeah, they made the safety video and they're like, oh, there's the All Blacks and here's me standing at the airport waving them off and saying, hey, watch my video, but I'm just going to stay here. <laughs> Um, yeah, it was it was just one of those things. They wanted a guy that had a bit of swagger, Smithy, you know, a little bit of swagger and dagger and swagger <laughs> goes together. So it was it was plain and simple, really. Um, nah, it was it was fun. It was fun. I always <laughs> the worst thing about it is when I did fly after that, um, the air hosties would come up to me and try and get me up to to do the rap and do the dance. And I'd be sitting there going, hell no, I'm putting my hoodie up and I don't even want to hear my own voice because I hate hearing my own voice. So it was it was pretty embarrassing flying, but it was enjoyable. It was, it was I'm going to be biased. It was probably the best one I've made since. What do you reckon, Smitty? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I'm a, I, was, I actually watched it. Some of them I don't watch, you know. Some of them <laughs> I'm not that big on. Uh, I don't mind the Ra the Rachel Hunter. I watched the Rachel Hunter part of the Rachel Hunter one. <laughs> I, I, I paid particular attention to that part of it. Uh, hey mate, let's 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 just can I just uh, just the whole time? Of course, you're still a crusader in the background. Of course, and, and when you're on All Black duty, you're going back or re recouping through the Crusaders. Uh, Scotty Robertson, the Razor. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know his record is unbelievable. I mean, uh, tell us a wee bit about him because I, he's clearly unique. I mean, I do not. In my wildest dreams, I cannot see Steve Hansen no. doing a break dance after winning a, a, a series against somebody or sticking a flag in the middle of their, their halfway line or whatever. Tell us a wee bit about what, what Razor Robertson brought to you as a Crusader and the Crusaders as a group. Because it's fair to say he's not the all-black coach now. Maybe one day. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, he just brought a whole new environment and culture and an environment you want to go and you enjoy and ha you have a purpose. What well, One thing he's great at is he, he brings in all these amazing themes at the start of the year. And so when you've got a theme that's actually real, it's got a bit of realness to it and, and it feels real and it's, it's something that you can walk towards and you can work towards. That's what he was good at, bringing an environment where you worked hard, but you had fun. You all know, he's, he's like what you see on, on the field. That's him day to day. 
And the biggest thing he has is he has people skills. He can connect with everyone. He can connect with the Fijians. He can do a Fijian dance over there. And then next minute he's coming over here and have a full-on serious conversation with Sam Wallock, you know? And you're just like, mate, I just saw you doing the bloody hula hula over there. And you're coming over here and just having a full chat about strategies and things. So that's that's the one one thing he is he is great at, just being, being able to connect with different people. We've got a lot of different cultures within the group, so... Like I said, just being able to mould all those different cultures into one and one team that plays for each other. And uh, he like he he made me love the game again as well. He uh, mm. the Crusaders, if I'm gonna be completely honest, I was I didn't enjoy it as, as much as I did in my last three years within the environment. Um, I don't know what that is comes down to, but I think a big part is is Scotty and what he did for me and made me love the game and, and enjoy going to work. It's not even work, going to training and being around the team, around the, around the boys. But uh, his biggest attribute is people skills and creating an environment where there's a purpose and something you can walk towards. The, the other thing, of course, you, you talk about influences on your life and, and, you know, most people will say the appearance at some stage, particularly early on, but you've had a partner and Daisy who you married in 2014. Um, I think you were together up to maybe nine or 10 years before that. It's like childhood sweethearts, mate. And, yeah. and as you well know, in the life of professional sport, uh, relationships are perhaps a lot harder to do than actually play the game itself at times. Um, you, you've done incredibly well there. And of course, uh, Arlo, who we've heard and Tilly, yeah. who we've seen yeah. uh, so far this afternoon, have, have been integral to that. How's Big's family, mate? How big has that been for you? Mate, it's the biggest thing ever for me. It's it's way bigger than anything I've ever done in my life to date. I, I um when my wife got pregnant with Arlo, it was it was life changing for me. Um I thought I knew everything and didn't have a care in the world, but when you got a little human coming in, you gotta grow up and you gotta stop being selfish and, and think about other people in your life. And I met Daisy in twenty two thousand and five. So we're together, we've been together for 16 years now. It's, it's a long time, half of our life we've been together. Uh, now we've got two beautiful kids. So family for me is the utmost important thing. You know, these these kids, they are full noise in this lockdown, Smithy, I'll tell you. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm looking forward to, to getting a bit of freedom back. But they make it so much fun and so much enjoyable. And just when they, when they say dad to you, that makes my heart melt, you know, when... when my daughter comes up to me and gives me a big hug and a kiss. And my son, like my son loves rugby at the moment. He's like, dad, rugby, dad, rugby. If I walk off, he starts screaming and losing the plot. So seeing them enjoy family, enjoy dad life, wanted me to play with him. He can whack a golf ball too, um, Smithy. Left-handed though. So yeah, get him bloody left-handed clubs. Um, but uh, just doing the, the normal things and and life with the kids, it just makes it so much, so much better and life more enjoyable when you got when you got little kids. As you know, it's uh, it's awesome. Yeah, it is, and, and they grow up and and it becomes even more fun, mate. I can tell you, there's nothing what's, like what's lockdown uh, like when they're growing up, Smithy. Is it is it alright? <laughs> I'd say it's a bit more expensive. Uh, that's what I'll sum it up. <laughs> to be fair. I, I, and they were part of uh, the hardest decision you had to make in rugby, and that is, of course, um, to end it all. And, and you did that in April 2019 uh, with an open letter. Um, yep. And that um, in itself didn't seem to me very Israel Dag-like. You know, it was like, hey, fellas, you know, I've had enough. It's been great. Cool. All the best <laughs> for the future. I'll be looking forward to watching you from the stand or something. But you went a lot deeper than that, mate. You went really deep. Yeah, yeah. Is that, is that my Instagram posty kind of? Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I just uh, you never wanted to end, Smithy. So when you when you're told it's it's game over, it is pretty. Wow, we what am I going to do now? But when you when I couldn't do the things I used to be able to do, and you know my body was sore, I was I was getting like affected mentally, knowing that I couldn't even kick the ball. It was an easy decision in the end. I couldn't do the things that I used to be able to do. And when you're trying to play high performance rugby for the best teams in the world, the Crusaders and the All Blacks, and you're not, you're not even doing, you just did weight, you're just luggage. 
it was easy. Um, you never want to give up, but I, I had to make the decision. And I was very lucky that New Zealand Rugby and the Crusaders, you know, made me finish the game the way that they did. They could have just said, okay, sweetheart, see you later. But the Crusaders um, gave me an opportunity to stay on board with the team, enjoy the last year and and uh, yeah, be around the lads when they got their three-peat. That was pretty special. And, and New Zealand Rugby, they they could have just said, yeah, here you go, see you later. But they, you know, Chris Lindrum and the team, they made it a lot easier. And Steve Chu, he was awesome. Sent me a message when it happened. So, yeah, I, I got nothing but love for, for the teams. But, yeah. I just I had to make the decision. And my wife, you, that's probably why it's not Izzy Dagler because my wife actually helped me write that, that little post. With <laughs> you know, if I'm in doubt, I go to her, and she makes it sound authentic and genuine. <laughs> but uh, what the good thing is for you now, though, that you know, you've you've come on board with Sky, which which enables you. Um, you can't play the game you love, but you can still stay close to the game that you love. Yeah. And to the blokes, but you don't have to wake up in the morning and wonder how the hell it's going to go, um, you know, or, or or you go through that that ritual of, of gut wrenching stuff until the final whistle. So um, you don't get the enjoyment of playing, but you've you've been able to stay pretty close to it, mate. I'm very lucky, and and as you know, being able to do what we do is is pretty lucky. And when when you finish rugby, the unknown, you're like, what am I going to do? Uh, <laughs> You know, you're still going to work. You're still going to put food on the table and provide for your family. So I'm very, very grateful for Sky TV for giving me the opportunity to stay in the game and talk about a game that gave me everything as a kid growing up. Uh, you know, surround, learning from the best, seeing what Smithy does on those sidelines is pretty, pretty <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, but I'm still finding my feet too because there is a lot of different parts to Sky TV. You know, you can be a presenter, you can be a host, commentator. So, yeah, I'm just... I'm delving into a lot of different things. The one thing I'm loving is just connecting with all the players. I guess that's a unique thing I've got. I've just finished, so I kind of got the relationship with the lads and even the mm. women's at the moment. I've been interviewing like Michaela Glide and you know, Ruby Two and all, all the girls and, and being able to chat with them. And that's what I'm loving uh, is staying apart and staying connected and kind of hanging on. And you know, I got to interview George Bridge and the lads the other day, so that was quite fun. Um, but you're very... Very thankful for Sky for giving me an opportunity. And like you said, game days are different. I remember Wellington Test, South Africa All Blacks. Here's me uh, going to get a subway at lunchtime, just chilling out all day, not having a stretch, not having to get up and go for a warm-up. It was um, chuck my suit on at 5 o'clock and go down to Westpac Stadium, or Sky Stadium, I should say, and uh, go there and be ready for the Test match. Mate, I've, look, I've, I've had so much fun. It's like most podcasts. You think, man, we could talk for hours about this. And it's been fantastic stuff. I've got to ask you five quick fire questions yeah. that I've made up myself, which I assume a lot of people will ask you anyway. So you've got, you haven't got long to think about this. Best yeah. ground you played at, number one. Best ground. Soweto. Soweto, the Sox City. Yep. 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 Okay. Best match you played in? Australia All Blacks 2011 World Cup semi final. Most respected teammate. This is always a toughie because you feel like you're letting people down, but is it easy? Most respected teammate? Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> um, uh, DC. DC. Most respected opponent? Uh, oh, no, you got me. Um, there's so many. Oh, I'm just trying to. Oh, you stumped me. And when you say respected, as in you got a lot of respect for how he plays or as a person. Yeah, a guy you played against that you you look forward to playing against. Now at the end of it, you thought, man. Oh, Willie, probably Willie Larue or someone like that. Yeah, yeah. Willie. Okay, okay. And finally, the the one that won't get you into any trouble at all anymore, but might have when you're uh, when you were playing. Most respected coach. Respected coach. Yes. Uh, most influential. My most influential coach have grown up. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Wayne Smith. Wayne Smith. Hey, mate, look, all, all I can say uh, is uh, it's been fun. Thanks for inviting us into your bedroom, which is uh, the, holy, the holy of holies, of course. And <laughs> Sorry. Meeting your kids. I'm trying to hide uh, from the kids. She's absolutely cute. She looks like mum, which is, uh, she's lucky. So uh, 
Yeah. Hey, uh, Izzy, fantastic, mate. We'll catch up you around the sidelines. Uh, of course, when rugby gets going again, which we hope is sooner rather than later, mate. Stay safe, stay well. You've been brilliant. Thank you. Thank you very much, Smitty. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Say bye, Tills. Bye, Tills. Cheers. Bye. <laughs> bye, Tilly. See you, Smitty. Cheers, boy. Thank yeah, you. Bye.